This is Tyler and Adam's Pretentious Podcast. Good evening, everybody. I'm Tyler. I'm Adam. And you know how you know how the the show goes at this point. We're we're gonna be sitting down with a Deborah Driggs. Deborah here. It was a former Playboy cover girl and centerfold model. And you know what? I'm just gonna let her kind of take it from here and elaborate on that a little bit. Deborah. Nah, you you, you guys go. You're doing a great job. <laughs> <laughs> You go tell my whole life story. I'll listen. <laughs> that guy had you read my bio, right? Oh, a little definitely. bit, a little bit. I know that. <laughs> I definitely did some research. They got you. She's a cover girl, Playboy centerfold, and they stopped right there. No, no, no. She's so much more than that. Tyler. I see that you're an entrepreneur, and it's you've done a lot since then. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? <laughs> I love it. Okay, so yes, I graced the covers of Playboy magazine back in 1990. I was fortunate to be a part of that history and had no idea what I was getting into when I when I chose to be in Playboy. And then, you know, life happens. I got married, had kids, got divorced. And when I got divorced, I was 40 years old. And I had three young children. I had no money. I was broke. I wasn't at the top of my game anymore. I was just another Gus on the bus, so to speak. And, and you know, I had to start all over and reinvent myself. And through lots of kind of reinventing and, and different struggles, I ended up doing the career that I'm in now, which, you know, <laughs> if you would have told me when I was doing all the entertainment stuff that I'd be number one in my industry and in, in life insurance, that would have just been like, what, what are you talking about? No, that's oh. a, that is a huge change. <laughs> it is. I used to sell life insurance. It's hard. I, I can't imagine. And I, you know, I commend you for, you know, kind of taking that path in life. And I want to hear more about how you got into that a little later, but can we kind of dial it back to the beginning and just like, where how- are you from? Like, what was the buildup to you getting into the industries that you've been in? All right, here we go. So I grew up in Southern California. I'm a Southern California girl. I grew up in the South Bay area in Torrance. I aspired to be a figure skater and I skated until I was, God, I was five years old when I started skating, started skating seriously at the age of nine. So getting up at 4 a.m. and skating before school and after school. And at 14, my whole life in my in my story, you know, which has changed now, but in my story back then, my whole life fell apart. My parents got divorced. I had to stop skating. I was going to a private Catholic school in Redondo Beach called St. Catherine's, Hmm. and I tested to get into Bishop Montgomery, and I could no longer ice skate. My parents were getting divorced, and I couldn't go to Bishop Montgomery, the high school that I tested to get into, and I ended up at a high school in a not-so-safe neighborhood called Losinger in Hawthorne. And while I was in high school, I 
was very sad and depressed because, you know, the thing that I love the most was ice skating. Yeah. And I and I wasn't doing it anymore. And I didn't have any friends going into high school because I was supposed to go to a different high school. And now I'm going to a high school where I don't know anybody. So my freshman year was not so fun and exciting. It was actually very isolating, sad, you know. Yeah, I had to work. not in a great place. Yeah, I was not. I was not. And so my whole goal in high school, to be honest, I barely graduated high school. My whole goal was just to get out of high school, get out of Hawthorne and and pursue something inside of me was telling me I needed to pursue something bigger. I didn't know what it was at the time. And when I got to college, I became a song leader and, you know, all these great things started happening in college. And then I tried out for a professional cheerleading squad and I made it and it was, you know, and here I was featured on all the news and it was like I was discovered at 19. Yeah, local celebrity. Yeah, I was a local celebrity. Exactly right. I was in all the newspapers and everybody was calling on my answering machine at my, <laughs> at my home, you know, my God, we saw Debbie on the news. And, um, and so that's kind of where my journey started. And then I went to Japan to dance. Oh, cool. And, yeah. And well, yeah. So in 1983, while I was in Japan and I turned 21, an agent there, I want to say discovered me, but really just, asked me if I would do this commercial. And I said, sure. And they brought me to the set. And I, you know, in the back of my mind, I was thinking, I wonder if this is really a commercial yeah. or if it's legit. <laughs> and it was, it was totally legit. And what, what was it for? It was for, um, oh God, all I remember, this is what I remember about the shoot is they brought me in, they put a black wig on me. They put a poodle skirt, <laughs> gloves and had me dance around you know when i was in japan in 1983 everything was kind of 50s themed hmm. so i kind of felt like i was in a time warp i felt like i was living the movie grease yeah <laughs> and and so they put me in a poodle skirt and they had me dance around on the set and i don't re- actually don't remember what the product was i just had to dance around and be funny i was like a funny girl so hmm. when i came back from japan i told everybody i'm going to do commercials and i'm going to model and everybody was like, you know, everybody in my world was like, gave me every reason why that wouldn't work out. Mm. You know, oh my God, one out of a million people make it in that industry or. And you did. I did. I was one of the one in a million. Oh That's my so God. Cool. <laughs> so, yes, everybody kind of tried to steer me away and gently tell me that models were 5'10 and I was little and I said well that's not the kind of modeling I'm gonna do I did this really fun modeling in Japan and I'm gonna be a funny girl commercial print model and sure enough that's exactly what I did so so Playboy came years later this is the I was, story I want to hear. And I don't mean to focus on that, but like, I really want to hear about this. So. Yeah. So, and by the way, I, you know, that's, it's completely legit because when people meet me, they, everybody wants to know what well, you did Playboy. Wait, what? And so, 
there's a story there, right? So yeah, so I had already been modeling. I had an agent and I was going out on commercials and and I, I had success. And my agent called me one day in 1989 and said, Playboy's coming out with a magazine. It's called The Lingerie Book. And they want you for the cover. And well, I said, I said, oh, well, is there any nudity involved? Because that's how what I associated in my mm. mind. I didn't really know anything about Playboy. And she said, I don't think so. It's for the cover. So I went to the famous building on Sunset and signed in with all the other girls. And they handed me a robe when they called me in and said, go ahead and take everything off and put the robe on. And when the photographer calls you, he'll bring you back to do a couple of Polaroids. And I said, yeah. well, I don't think I need to take everything off. I'm here for the, the cover. And she said, well, we have to see your body. So I said, well, I'm going to leave my undergarments on. And she said, be my guest. You know, it was like, you know, you know, they, they, so they were cool so, about that. Yeah, like, they, well, Here's the deal. They're so used to girls coming in and happily taking off their clothes. Because I didn't know this, but Playboy at that time was getting, this is 1989. They were getting a thousand submissions a day Ooh. from girls all around the world trying to get in the magazine. So girls were happily showing up and taking off their clothes. Mm. And here I am going, well, I'm going to leave my undergarments on and they're like, yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> and so I didn't think it it went that well. I left, kind of wrote it off. Mm. And when I got home and pressed, you know, that button on that machine back in 1989, we had these <laughs> machines and you had to press a button to get your messages. It was called an answering machine. And you didn't know anything that was going on until you got home and got those <laughs> messages, right? So I have to tell people that are listening that are, you know, <laughs> 30 and under that they don't know what an answering machine is. So hey, I'm 29 and I know what an answering machine is. Yeah, but it's nice for me to take you through the visual because you've <laughs> never is. had, you've never had to actually go home and press a button and listen to messages. No, I feel and, like I'm there. You, you kind of painted the picture for me. <laughs> okay. So guess what? Any, okay. So let me just, okay. Side note. Side note, let me go off story for a second. Side note, so, you know, it's kind of like your cell phone now. You keep looking at your cell phone to see who texted you or if, if you got a voice. And back then, you know, you'd go home and press the button. And if it was like, you have no messages, you're, you're like, loser. <laughs> you have no, you have zero messages. So on this day, I had a message and it was... We're really interested in having you come and test to be a centerfold. Mm. And I literally called my agent and I said, I think they're confusing me <laughs> with one of the other girls. <laughs> <laughs> and my agent was like, no, they really want it. They really want you. And I was like, it can't be right. Cause I was, you guys don't understand. I'm, I was the funny girl. I was like, kind of awkward and funny. And so it, it didn't make sense to me at all. And so after I discussed it with a few people in my life, they all said, you have to do it. 
But you have to understand, in 1989, Playboy was the number one magazine in the yeah. world. And so, like I said, they were getting a thousand girls a day vying for this opportunity. And and here it kind of fell in my lap. And yeah, I'm, like I'm so that was kind of my real um, entree into the whole. I was already modeling and doing commercials, but Playboy was really the start of putting me in proximity of people that I would have never gotten to be in proximity with. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I was getting called in with everybody now. It was like, oh, who's the girl on the car? We want to meet her. Even it, regardless if they had a project, they just wanted to meet. And so that that kind of boosted me. You know, I thought, wow, this is pretty cool. And then I got to be the VJ for Playboy's Hot Rocks. And, oh, cool. Yeah, and I started doing, you know, getting more and more auditions. And and it was it was really, it, it was definitely a whirlwind. I've after I shot my centerfold, they flew me to Chicago to shoot a cover. And then they flew me to Chicago a few weeks later to shoot another catalog. And then I met Pam Anderson and she was February of my year. I was March. Oh, nice. And she, and she was moving from Canada and she needed a place to live. And I said, my roommate's moving oh. out. So <laughs> she moved in with me and we were roommates for a year. <laughs> That's amazing. That's so cool. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, and she didn't know LA, so I would take her to the rainbow room and we'd drink beer and do tequila shots. And so, <laughs> so cut to when she married Tommy Lee, I was like, Oh, look what I created. <laughs> so that's your no, fault. I didn't, I didn't have anything to do with that, but yeah, that she was just this really sweet girl from Canada. And, you know, I took her to all those rock and roll clubs cause I'm, I'm an LA girl. And so, so yeah, we were roommates for a year and it's funny cause I ran into her. I think like four or five years ago, I was in New York and I, we were staying at the same hotel and I was walking out of the hotel and she was in front of me. And I'm like, I read that. I know that girl. Where do I know her from? <laughs> and I was like, Pam, because it was I her back was to me and I didn't see her face. Mm -hmm. And and I was like, Pam. And she's like, oh, my God. And she's telling her friends that she's with. We had so many stories, you know, living together. It was a who's who. Our apartment was like a revolving door of a who's who, hmm. you know, of all the different people that were coming in and out. So we were kind of reminiscing about that. And and so it was just funny, like, to run into her after all these years. But, yeah. <laughs> that's really yeah, that's cool. That's so cool. <laughs> oh, I had a, there was a follow-up question to that. Like, as far as, like, you know, once your foot's in the door and you're living your best life, uh, did you, uh, as – being associated with the magazine, did you spend time at the Playboy Mansion? A lot of time, of course. And is as a matter of and was Hugh Hefner cool in real life? Hef is super cool, like super cool. If you look up the word "super cool" in the dictionary, his photo is right there. Um, <laughs> he's he is a genius. I mean, seriously, I didn't know anything about Playboy or his story. And one of the things, this is a fun story. So uh, when you become a Playmate, well, at least back when I did Playboy, I can only talk about my time. So in 1989 and 1990, they had a department called 
Playmate promotions. And when you became a Playmate, you kind of went on tour. Like you'd go to different states. That's literally and, one of my other follow-up questions if you had to do like promotional tours. Yes. Yeah. And so you, we would do radio station. Like I'd show up to do a radio interview and, and, um, and we'd go and do trade shows and sign autographs. And so anyway, one of the things that was on the list of promotions was giving tours of the mansion. Hmm. And that was what I... I told them when I read that, I said, that's what I want to do. <laughs> I want to give tours of the mansion. And they were like, that's like the least favorite thing. Like most of the girls, that's like, they don't want to do that. And I was like, no, I want to do that. <laughs> because there was so much history at the mansion mm. and I loved spending time there. And especially like I'm from LA. So I was always surprised that the girls that weren't from LA didn't get so much out of that. Mm. I, I got so much out of it. There was so much history and, you know, Hef had two full-time zookeepers. He had a whole Dang. aquarium full of every bird you could think of. <laughs> the grounds were spectacular, you know, peacocks walking around. And then you had the whole pool with the grotto and, and so I loved it. I was like, if there, if you need a girl to give a tour of the mansion, I'm in. Yeah, it always Sign looks fancy in. on TV. <laughs> yeah, it's like, and it's so sad. I think I just posted something on social media. Um, uh, I forget what family just bought the mansion. Shoot, why am I spacing? But I just posted because they just gutted it, rebuilding, and I'm like sick. I'm like. Oh my God, you know, cause it's so sad. It's like, it's got sentimental value. It's, oh, it's um, Hostess Cupcakes bought the mansion. Wow. Oh, interesting. It's, it's, a, it's a landmark. You would think that they would have done something to archive or preserve the property. Yeah. I mean, with all well, the history attached to it. I seriously do not understand why they did not make it a place for people to visit and tour almost like a museum, like the flick in, um, mm. not the flick, not the flick, the Frick, the Frick Museum in New York, the Frick family. You know, they kept that Upper East Side mansion and people can walk through and see how they lived. And, you know, and That's I cool. thought the Playboy Mansion should have been the same way. Well, that was a family decision, right? Um, I'm assuming his heirs kind of got full control of that and... I don't know. I did a little bit of reading on this a few years back, and I may be misremembering, but to my knowledge, uh, their the family didn't really want any attachment to it. They were kind of happy to get rid of it because I read about it starting to dilapidate after, you know, Hugh passed. Well, I I don't know. I don't know the details of it, to be honest with you. I just know that from an outside point of view, and from the history and from all the tours I did, I just can't understand why the city of L.A. didn't insist on it being a landmark. You would think they would have done a petition or something. Not it came yeah. money to some degree or something. <laughs> yeah. Or with the knows? public decide. City ordinances, I don't know. <laughs> who knows? But I don't know. Let's uh, let's fast forward it a bit. Uh, what what was the transition out of that? And how did that kind of play out? Career. No, I'm 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 going to sit in this for a minute. 
Okay, so just, no, please, please. No, do just give ahead. me a minute. I'm a little sad now about oh, no. this whole about the whole history of the man. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what are we gonna do now? I was like, I can't go there. <laughs> no, you know, it's everything happens the way it's supposed to happen. And and so hopefully the hostess family is gonna enjoy this this mansion that they purchased and such a weird purchase. Right? It's such a weird <laughs> purchase. I weird. agree. Yeah. <laughs> it is weird. That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But yeah, so that's kind of, you know, I had a lot of history there. I spent a lot of time at the mansion. I love Hef. I'll miss him forever. I'll miss the mansion forever. You know, it'll forever be in my, in my thoughts and, you know, it, it's, there's a lot of history there, as you can imagine. So fast forwarding in 1992, I got married. Yay me. And Congrats. had three kids back to back and <laughs> did a lot hurting. of, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, uh, continued to do acting and modeling until about 1998 and then I just kind of got choosy about what I was going to do because I had three young kids. But when I turned 40 in 2003, I got divorced. So I got separated and then I got divorced in 2004. So I was 41, broke, three young children. And really, I didn't know what I was going to do and I didn't. You know, I didn't I didn't have a marriage where there was a big settlement to split or, you know, there was not it was just we kind of went our own ways and I had to start over. So I did, a you know, all these different jobs. And then I finally found what I do now, which is life insurance. And it took a while. You know, I had to really. I had to really like dig deep. And it's so funny because it was right in front of me the whole time. I had referred the guys, the guys that I worked, that I started working for in 2010, I had referred them a huge case. And by the time I finally realized it was right in front of me, I called and I said, hey, you know, I got smart and I said, hey, you know, I refer you a lot of business. Could I get a referral fee? And they, he just, there was like this dead silence on the phone. And he said, Deborah, go get your license. <laughs> you know, you know, everybody. Why are you referring? Why are you playing small? Go get your license and refer us all your people and you could do really well. Well, that's exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. I got, got my license and within a year I was the number one agent three years running Heck yeah! and uh, joined the million dollar round table and top of the table and all those things that come with, you know, any industry, you know, when you get the, when you get to the height, but I didn't, here's the funny thing about that. Even though I had all those accolades and they were, you know, my, my partners would call me and say, you're eligible to join the million dollar round table. And I'd go, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> and they're like, no, that's a really big deal. And I'd be like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's how it just would go over my head. Like, 
not that it came so easy to me because I really was working my tail off, but I just wasn't consumed with that at the, at that time. I was really more interested in like, I never wanted to be in a position ever again of not being able to provide for my kids. Yeah. And so I just, was in that headspace of like, you know, I just, I'm here to work and do my job. And if I get an accolade, that's great. And they were like, no, you kind of want to add this to your, yeah. your, your profile, your resume or whatever. And I was like, okay. And it's not, it wasn't really until about three years ago that I started really taking my hand, pick, taking my hand with the other hand and putting it behind my shoulder and patting myself on the back. <laughs> Because I just didn't do that. You know, I just didn't yeah. give myself credit. I, I, you know. No, it's, that's amazing. I mean. I'm glad you put <laughs> yourself out of that. Now, I, yeah. I, I've got to ask, are you, do you operate completely independently or do you work as part of a partnership or do you work under a company? What's the deal with that? So I work for the client. So I'm not captive to any life insurance company. I think that's your question. Yeah, so yeah. I, I am licensed with everybody. I'm licensed with AXA. I'm licensed with Hartford. I'm licensed with Mass Mutual, Pack Life. I'm, I work for the client. So I go, I go in the direction of what's best for the client. And because I don't really do anything under 5 million, I really have to be very, very careful what program or what what I choose for my client. So yeah, it's, it's a bit different than being an agent that strictly works for Matt, you know, if you know, you'll meet people that will say I work for mass mutual and they sell life insurance. Well, they, that's different from what I do. I I'm licensed with everybody and I work for the client, not the, not the insurance company. Now, when you were, you know, let's, take it back again to whenever you, you know, you started doing that. You did that commercial when you were in Japan and you started, you know, modeling and got in with Playboy. Did you have any idea whatsoever that you would kind of end up doing what you're doing now? Or if, I mean, probably not, but, uh, no. otherwise, <laughs> that's what I mean. Probably no. not. What did you see yourself doing? What would you, I, that's, the, that's I, the best question to ask. I literally, because I married, you know, I lived in a fantasy world and it took me a long time to get over that. I, I lived in a fantasy. I married a gold medal Olympic athlete and we had three children and I imagined a white picket fence and I was going to be the full-time mom and raise three kids and maybe do a commercial here and there. I never saw myself as a career person. I saw myself as a full-time mom, you know, wife, Mrs. So-and-so. I, it, it's funny to me when I look back, cause I'm like, God, if I had figured this out while I was married, that I could have done anything I wanted to do. And I just was playing very small. You know, I was, I was really playing small and I wasn't standing up for what was in my soul and in my heart and saying, Hey, I have something to offer here. I think I could start my own business or why don't I do this? 
And, you know, I just played small. I was like, I was Mrs. So-and-so. I was the mom of Mrs. So-and-so's kids. I, I was playing it very small. And, and by the way, I loved all of that. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. But what I'm saying is, is in my head, my fantasy was I'm married, I'm a mom. And this is kind of how I saw my life. And Really, it hasn't really been until the last five years where I've been like, you know what? I can do anything I want to do. <laughs> and I never felt that way before. I always kind of felt like I had to follow a program or do what other people were doing or, you know, I'll go to that seminar or I'll follow that person's program. And, and even just recently, like in November of 2020, I woke up in the middle of the night and I was like, you know what? I'm done following other people's programs. I'm going to follow my own gosh darn program. And <laughs> this is what's happening. And I literally got up and I, I have a whiteboard and I just started writing on the whiteboard, like everything that I was going to do and the rules I was going to follow that I created, <laughs> you yeah. know, and there's something about doing that, whether or not, by the way, it doesn't matter whether or not you follow through on everything, but there's something about doing it that, that all of a sudden now I was kind of aligning myself to my true authentic self. Yeah, you're just and kind of putting that out there at least. At the totally. Least. Exactly. And that is that was the first step. I was like, okay, I'm done following other people's programs. I'm going to follow my own program, invent my own program, write my own book, create my own documentary, and do my own, do me. Yeah. And this is me. This is authentically me. And there's nothing, I'm not doing anything that's, now I everything I do, I I actually feel it out. I'm like, does that align with who I am right now? And if it doesn't align with who I am, I don't do it. It's like, no, because I get invited to a lot of stuff, if you can imagine. And I just people say, why don't you how about we do this? Why don't you come? I just got this one, for example. Why don't you come to Mexico and we'll do a retreat and blah, blah, blah. And I sat on it for a couple of days and I was like, nah, doesn't, that doesn't align with me. It doesn't align. I don't need to be a part of somebody else's program, if that makes sense. It does. Like, and when you start to finally, and you guys are young, you little babies, 29 <laughs> year olds. So, I'm in the 30s. Yeah, but still, that's really young. <laughs> if you're, if you're really paying attention and you get this, and you start to think like, "Hey, I can do whatever I want, as long as it's in line with not hurting anybody, not, and it's just all about me doing the next right thing," and I can start saying no or yes, and I can start building or not build, you know, it's like once you start deciding what you're going to be, nothing can derail you, but it has to start with you. You have to decide. And that was what was missing in my life is that I had never really taken the time. And it wasn't until I woke up in November of 2020 
And this is after years of doing a lot of work, you know, <laughs> and I, I woke up and was like, you know what? Uh, uh-uh. this is my program now. And this is what I'm doing. And I'm going to follow my program. And if nobody likes it too bad, because this is what I feel in my heart, I'm not hurting anybody. And I, I really, this is what I want to do. And I just got out a marker and it was like two in the morning. And I just started, I took photos of it, by the way, because you know, it changes, you know, I, you erase, but I took photos of all the things that I wrote down because they were really profound to what I was feeling. And what I was feeling was, is that it's really easy to get caught up in other people's stuff, whether it's a program, a seminar, a relationship, a marriage, a divorce, whatever it is, I don't care what it is. It's really easy to get caught up. And when you decide, when you finally decide, I will no longer get caught up and I will only do what's on my agenda and my purpose for the greater good, it, it, everything changes like in a split freaking second, it all changes. And that's what happened to me. And it, it, you know, I, I say, God, thank God, you know, I was 56 when that happened and I'm 57 now. And I literally say this and and I hope I'm an inspiration to anybody listening is that I feel like my life is just getting started. And I really, for a long time, felt that, oh, my God, if I get to 40 and I don't have it figured out, it's over. I didn't get it. <laughs> you know, I just didn't get it. Or if I'm not living the, the, the life of my dreams, I missed the boat and I didn't get it. And that's just not the case. You know, I, I feel like, thank God I didn't get it because if I would have gotten all those things at 40, I wouldn't have had all these journey experiences to where I am now. And so, so it's kind of twofold, right? It's yeah. like, it's like you want to appreciate your journey, which I a hundred percent do. But you also feel compelled to share it with somebody like you who's 29 or in their 30s and go, hey, let me save you 20 years right now. Let me just save you 20 years. Just do like these three things. And I swear I can shave off a lot of misery off your timeline. You know, and it's and in usually. It, it, it just doesn't work that way because everybody has to do their own journey. And that's why self-help or self-growth is so huge because everybody is looking to improve or learn or grow or get better. And I could put all the answers in front of you. I could say, here's what you want to avoid here's the red flame. Don't touch it. I guarantee you, it doesn't matter if I put it in front of you, you're going to touch it. <laughs> you are. It's because everybody has to go through their own journey. Hey, well, I mean, I respect. You guys are speechless. <laughs> no, you know, like, I needed to hear that today and I'm glad I did. I got to say one thing, Deborah. I honestly, I didn't know how you were going to 
how, how you were going to be, honestly. I mean, all I knew was what I saw on the internet and uh, just the little bit of chatting that we did before we set all of this up. And you are just a deep person. And there's so much wisdom attached to everything that you just said. And I hope that the listeners were able to take something from that. I definitely oh, did. Thank, thank you. Thank you, guys. Yeah, I, you know, it's, it. life is a journey. It's, it's a process. And that's why now I'm doing something that's really scary. I now call myself a writer. I write every day for I literally put myself in a room and I put a handkerchief on the door so everybody knows do not disturb me. And I write for two hours and I just started posting a blog every Monday on my website. I post a blog and I just started. So uh, I posted the first blog last week and and I'm posting things like everything that we're talking about. I'm very vulnerable. I am open. I am raw. There is no, I'm not going to try and hide anything. If somebody says, oh, you did this, I'm going to go, okay, yeah, you're right. I did. And here's <laughs> what I learned. And I'm not trying to hide anything. I'm, I'm really open because I think the only way to help anybody in life is to share your experience, your strength, and what you do each day to make each day better. Like I, I go to people to learn that. I don't want to go to somebody to have them tell me what to do. I want to learn from what they've already done. And most of the time, the people that try to give me advice have never been through anything that I've been through. And that's, that's another great lesson I can give you guys right now is that for a very long time in my life, I would listen to people who would give me advice who had never done anything that I was trying to do. And I finally woke up one day and I was like, okay, if you're going to take advice from somebody, take it from somebody whose life you want. Yeah. If I want their life or I want their relationship, I'm going to listen to what they have to say. If they're not doing, you know, what, like for example, why would I take advice from somebody who's never sold life insurance? Right. <laughs> but there are a lot, but by the way, there are a lot of people that will tell me how to do my job, which I find interesting. They've never <laughs> sold life insurance. They've never had to call 50 people in a day to try and make a sale, but they're going to try and tell me what to do. That I find real, that I'm fascinated by that dynamic. And so it finally hit me. I'm like, guess what? Unless somebody is doing something really extraordinary that I'm like, wow, holy shit, how are they doing that? I want to know. Or how are those two people still together after 20 years? Yeah. What are they doing? What is their secret sauce, man? I want to know. <laughs> and so, you know what I mean? Like, I'm really intrigued by that kind of vibe. And otherwise, I don't really need to know. Or really, I don't have time to know how you think you would do something if you're not doing it and you've never done it. I don't know. I'm not listening. I, I, I don't have time anymore. It's like life is too short. So you start to really pick and choose who you take advice from. You know, you've got to have your mentors. You got to have your coaches. You have to have your cheerleaders. You have your friends and all of these roles in your life provide something different. 
So your mentors are people that are doing what you do that you go to advice for. And your coaches are people that are going to make you better at whatever it is you're doing. And your cheerleaders are people that are going to cheer you on no matter what. And then your friends are people that you just, they're your anchors, right? They're, they're your friends. They're just like, you go to them because they're your friends. You're not, you don't want anything from them. They don't want anything from you. And so you want to have these, this team in place in your life. You know, you want to make sure you differentiate who's who, you know, who are my cheerleaders? Who are my mentors? Who are my coaches? You know, I'm not going to go to the guy that trains me in the gym for advice about my company. So you, and by the way, you, you know, you, you just had that little like snicker laugh, <laughs> but people do this. No, no, They'll no. Go, I, I, they I go to their, entirely. they go to their, they go to their trainer in the gym and they start getting advice about their company and they wonder why it's all going to shit <laughs> because you're getting the advice from the wrong person. So you want to go to the right person for the right thing. And a lot of times people go to people they feel comfortable with for advice about their company or their relationship. Meanwhile, I, this is, this is a fact, you know, I can tell you, I've sat at lunches with women who none of these women have good relationships with their husband or their boyfriend or whatever. They're all complaining. It's not going well, but yet they're all taking advice from each other. <laughs> so you can see how this is going to go, right? You know, you're taking advice from somebody who has no relationship whatsoever with her husband and bad mouths their husband, really. I've been at these lunches where women can kind of talk, you know, oh, you know, whatever. It's yeah. like this negative talk. And then they'll say, well, you know, oh, my God, let me tell you, this is what you need to do. And I'm thinking, why would anybody take advice right now? from women who are miserable in their marriage. Like I would, that's not who I want to get advice from for a relationship. I want to get advice from women who talk nothing but beautiful things about their partner in life or men who talk about beautiful things about their partner in life. I want to know, how are you doing that? How do you love that person so much? Like, what is it that you guys do? What's your secret? You know? Yeah. And so that's, that's really the gift is finding the people that are going to give you the correct advice. And there's so many people out there that will fake, fake you out, you know, like, Oh yeah, let me tell you what to do in your business. Cause I did this, this, and this. And then meanwhile, what you don't know is they're really bankrupt and you're taking advice from the wrong business person. And people learn these things the hard way. I don't mean to jump ahead, but I know that we've got a limited time slot here. I just kind of wanted to veer a little more into what you're doing today and just kind of, uh, you, you know, aside from selling life insurance and you're doing your writing, what else do you do to occupy your time? Very good question. So, yep, I now I have become, I decided in 2018 that I was going to back away from insurance and write a book. And then 
I traveled with my kids for a while and did stuff that we weren't able to do when they were growing up. And then in during the pandemic, I thought, oh my God, perfect timing. I'm going to write a book. And so my creative juices started coming out full force. And <laughs> yeah, yeah really. <laughs> and, and, and here's the beautiful thing is, like I said, in November, I woke up and I was like, okay, I'm going full bore ahead and I'm not going to look back. And this is the decision I'm making. So what I do now is I have a routine that I follow and a program that I follow that I created. And we'll, you'll have to interview me back in November because it'll be a full year in November that I've followed my program and we'll see if it worked. And basically my program goes something like this. I get up, I meditate, I pray, I do deep breathing, I prepare myself for the day and then I check my emails. And if I don't have any meetings or pressing things to do, I put aside two hours to just write. I try to get that done at the beginning of the day because my day is always unpredictable. I finished my book and I'm, I am self-publishing. I am now Crystal Woods Publishing. So I am self-publishing two books. Awesome. Which is taking a lot of my time and attention to make sure that every detail is done correctly because I've never self-published and I'm sure I'm going to make a lot of mistakes, but I'm willing to do that. <laughs> and then I, I write a blog that comes out once a week on my website. I just booked a film that I'll be shooting on July 1st. I am back with two agents. My very first agents really in the business I just re-signed with them and I'm back modeling. I'm going on auditions. I'm starting over in That's a so business cool. that I in a business that I loved in my 20s. I'm starting over now in my 50s. And and so I'm doing that. And I am really trying to just be of service and inspire and help people that are starting out that think that they can't start over or they can't reinvent themselves at any age i i'm helping those people cool because and i've had i've had to do that quite a few times these, on my journey these these books are these uh self help books or if not like What's what's the gist with those? Do you mind giving us a little uh, sneak preview into what those are about? Sure. So one of the books is called Son of a Basque, and it's the story of my grandfather, my mother's father, who in Spain, who ended up growing up in Delta, Colorado, who was chased out of Chihuahua, Mexico, who served in World War II, the Korean War, and the Vietnam War, who worked as a prison guard at San Quentin and had just this unbelievable life of losing his father at the age of 10, losing a sibling in the well on their property, Oof. 
And so when I read his story, you know, he, he died in 1998 and my grandmother died. She was 93 when she died in 2017. And when I read his book, I read it twice. I thought, I'm going to self-publish this book because I had no idea his story. And I thought, that's a shame. But because he suffered such trauma from all the war, he didn't want to talk about it. You know, he, but thank God he left the book. Because when I read it, I read it twice, and I thought, holy moly, this is a book I want to self-publish. So I'm that, that book is definitely getting published. And then I'm writing my memoir, which is a story of a girl that grew up poor, you know, kind of like my grandfather, you know, very similar, and grew up poor and had a lot of trauma and ended up you know, with this glamorous life in Hollywood. How did I get there? You know, I didn't know anybody. I hustled. And then, you know, married this, what looked like a picket fence wedding life and went from that to just nothing and having to start over several times. So I, I have a memoir, which is leading into me doing a documentary on trauma and transitioning from trauma to, you know, understanding the trauma. Hmm. And so I have all these little projects. So my days are filled with being of service, writing, sharing, inspiring, giving back, continually creating, being an entrepreneur, being somebody who can donate and give back. And that's my purpose. Hey, that's that's awesome, Deborah. I mean, like like I said, we really didn't know what to expect with this, but that that was just a hell of a tale. I'm happy about it. And it sounds like you have faced, truly faced the trials and tribulations that life throws at you. And you you kept swinging the whole way and you made something of it. And I have mad respect for you. And I'm sure our listeners that are going to hear this are going to feel the same way. Uh, just one question. Do you, would you do it all again? Absolutely. <laughs> nice. There is nothing I would change. And I'll tell you why. There's something intuitively that hits me when I write that tells me there's no way I could trade my, my life with anything because Intuitively, I know that the path that I'm on and the path that has been given to me and this beautiful life that I get to live, it's all happening the way it's supposed to happen. And if I were to change anything, I would be messing up whatever it is I'm supposed to learn and grow from. And, and I have to have so much absolute respect for the fact that I have survived so much and I get to live and tell this story. So no, I would not change a thing. I, I am so blessed and I'm really very fortunate to be honest. So no, I, I think I'm super blessed. And if anybody really wants to follow my journey and kind of follow along with my blogs, I post one a week. And, you know, I think through my blogs, you'll really get to get a feel of who I am. Then Did they can follow me at 
DebraDriggs.com. I was about to ask you to yeah. go ahead and plug yourself real quick. Just yeah. so uh, they can find so you. It's my name, DebraDriggs.com. And all my social media is at Deborah Driggs. And really my whole story is, is I post everything that I do daily on Instagram. That's where I do most of my, my daily. If people want to really follow the journey, like I did a photo shoot yesterday and I posted all about that. And then I booked a film and I posted all about that. So I post everything on Instagram at Deborah Driggs. And then, you know, my website is where I post my blog and, and, and you'll be updated. If you follow me on my website, you'll be updated as to when my book and both books will be released. Nice. Yeah. Sweet. Hey, Deborah, do you have any, any final thoughts for the, for our listeners and hey, for us? I would just say to wake up every day and say thank you immediately you know, just be super grateful that you get to experience life one more day. If you start your day off that way, you're really headed in a good direction because really we do direct how our lives go. And so I, it's how I start my day every day is just I get on my knees and I say, thank you. Thank you for another day because we never know when the bus is going to stop. And so just be really thankful and grateful that you get to have another day on this beautiful planet and and make it the best day you know make it the best day if it was your last day what would you do i like that i like that agreed adam any final thoughts no man i I think i'm just gonna soak in all of that hey hey deborah if uh I, i would just like to say thank you one final time for taking the time to come chat with us tonight and share your thank story. Thank you so much. Thank you. I always want to say thank you so much for allowing me this time, allowing me the space to share my story. So much gratitude. Thank you, Tyler and Adam. It's Such been a pleasure. Yeah, thank thank, thank you. you so much. You have a good thank night, you. Deborah. You too. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Hey, guys, that was Deborah Driggs. Hey, I am... I, I'm almost speechless. I yeah, did not expect. I did not expect any of that. I, I don't want to say I thought it was going to be a superficial conversation, but I didn't expect us to go so deep into just like all of that. I'm going to be marinating on this for a couple of days. <laughs> I don't like that word. Marinating. Like a fine roast. <laughs> a fine roast. Yeah, I'm a fine <laughs> roast right now. I am marinating. But hey. Once again, Deborah, thank you. I hope the listeners enjoyed this. Uh, Adam, any final thoughts for the listeners before we close things up? No, man, I'm good. I've actually got a few really bad. Hey, guys, this has been Tyler and Adam's Pretentious Podcast. Thank you so much, and as always, have a good night. Peace out, y'all.